Every miracle and every wonder has to be what? Has to be proved by the Word of God. Because if it's not proved by the Word of God, then how do we know it's a genuine healing? Because Satan himself does healings too. You see? You have to be careful. For he turns himself into an angel of light. Welcome to Somebody Loves You Radio, the Bible teaching ministry of Raul Reese in Diamond Bar, California. We are so glad you've joined us today for our series in Mark's Gospel, as we consider how our witness as Christians can either point people to God or obstruct their faith, Raul will teach us how to follow Jesus' example and make more time for prayer. We hope you'll keep listening to see that in every decision you prayerfully make, you can glorify God and accomplish His mighty will. Now, here's Raul Reese. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3 this evening. And we want to look at the fifth conflict that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And I told you before already that the Pharisees uh, were those that constantly were coming against Jesus because of the law. They were always attacking Christ as if Christ was breaking the law. And yet they themselves were taking the law upon themselves and uh, becoming really condemned by the law because everything they did was according to tradition of the rabbis and never according to the Word of God. So they were always trying to stop Christ from doing what God the Father had called them to do. And then he says, and he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. Now, a synagogue in that culture is not like our common churches today. In order to have a synagogue in any city in Palestine or outside of Palestine, you would have to have at least 10 Jewish males to have a synagogue. Otherwise, you couldn't have one. And the synagogue was not like our churches. In a synagogue, the women would sit on one side and the men on the other side. And then the rabbi would teach them the word of God. And on the Sabbath day, the synagogue was open for any rabbi to get up on the pulpit and to give a lecture or to teach. That's why when Jesus came into the synagogue one time, remember he went and opened the book of the book of Isaiah and he began to reveal to them his first coming and he stops right before the second coming of Christ and he doesn't even go into it. He stops completely. And so the synagogue was a place of worship, a place of learning. It was the place where uh, the Jewish women would come with their husbands, but they couldn't sit with their husbands. They would have to be separated. And it was a time to hear the law of God in remembering what God said to the people of God. And this particular time in the synagogue, Jesus comes in and there's a man there who has a withered hand. Literally in the Greek it means having a dried up hand. Which means he couldn't use his hand anymore. It was totally wilted. No more. Couldn't do anything with it. And so they watched him closely. Now the Pharisees already knew that in previous times... Jesus, whenever Jesus saw a need, what did he do? He took care of it. So what they always were looking for was for Jesus to do another miracle. And what they were looking for is to set him up and to have him uh, judged 
and tried and eventually killed. That was the whole purpose of this religious movement. They did not like Jesus. Because Jesus spoke with authority. He spoke the word of God. And they were used to listening to the rabbis. And not really being honest and truthful about the word of God. And that's why Jesus convicted them with the word of God. And I think that the word of God is like that. I mean how many churches today do not preach the truth of God. And people are being lied to. I mean, there are churches that literally do not believe on heaven or hell. They believe just in having a good life in this world. And there are pastors and teachers that will get up on Sunday morning, and they will say, and they will teach, that there's really no heaven, there's really no hell. You just got to be a good person and live your life the way you want to. And when you die, you become non-existent. And then there's other churches that teach many other things. But we need to understand that here Jesus is coming and trying to teach the truth of God. And now what he's going to do, he's actually going to heal another man. But these guys were constantly watching him with an evil eye. You notice that it says they watched him very closely. Whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now, the reason they were looking to him and to accusing Christ... Is because these guys were, uh, they actually, from the Ten Commandments, they made 624 actual uh, commandments in their own law. And they have things like, on the Sabbath day, if you had false teeth, you couldn't wear them on the Sabbath day, because it was a burden to have false teeth in your mouth. You could not kindle a fire, you see. You could not walk more than a half mile, because then you were breaking the Sabbath day. And it was all legalism. It wasn't grace. It wasn't mercy. And so when Jesus came, he came to set the captives free. And so we see that here, Jesus now is going to do what they didn't want him to do. In verse 3, look at the command. And then he said to the men who had a withered hand, step forward. And then he said to them, he calls them to go forward. Then he turns to the Pharisees and he says this to them. Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? I mean, tell me. You know the law. I want you to speak up. And of course, the law said that it was lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. And the law also said if there was a need, then you could save life and not kill it. So they were silent because they knew that Jesus was right and they were wrong. They knew it. And they were not about to open their mouth at this particular moment. They were waiting for a better opportunity to really get to Jesus and to entrap him. And eventually to have him judged and killed. And so Jesus, look what he says to them. In verse 5. And when he had looked around at them with anger. Notice that. It actually angered him that these religious leaders were trying to keep people from God. When they were supposed to lead people to God. And you know, I thought about that for a moment. Think of how many times, even ourselves, instead of leading people to God, we're leading people away from God. Because of maybe the things that we do, or the way we live our lives. We have to be very careful that we're always leading people to the truth. And always leading people to God. Never away from God. Never into deception. And so when they could not say one word, that was their reaction. 
Then he was actually looking around with anger. And then notice what it says. And being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. There is the real problem. The hardness of heart. They were so concerned about tradition. That they totally were blind to the grace of God. And the mercy of God that Jesus wanted to give to them. It's so sad when people become hardened by religion. And they don't really see the truth of God. It's sad. The blindness and the hardness of people's hearts. They will not believe the truth about God. And that was the Pharisees problem. Jesus was grieved because of the hardness of their hearts. And then he said unto the man. Stretch out your hand. Notice that. He gives the command. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as others. Now, this brings up an issue that there's a lot of people today, which we call dispensationalists. They do not believe that miracles are for today. There are people that teach that. There are no miracles today. The gifts and the works of the Holy Spirit are not for today. They're of the past. They stopped with the apostles in the book of Acts. Yet we know, I know personally, that God still heals people. Do I believe that God can raise somebody from the dead? Yes, I believe that. Never seen it, but I believe it. Why? Because I believe that nothing is impossible with God. I have seen people that we prayed for, that had cancer and were healed from cancer. We have prayed for people that actually had major problems within their body and God healed them of tumors in the brain where the tumor were actually dissolved and gone and the doctors didn't know what to say about it. In my own personal life, God healed me from leukemia. I had cancer cells all over my body when I went in for an appendicitis attack and they did surgery and at the surgery they found all kinds of cancer cells and they actually said that I had leukemia and God healed me within three days. So I can stand here and tell you that God still heals today. I don't care what the problem may be. It's according to faith. As we believe in God. Now, does God heal everybody? No. God heals according to His sovereign will. According to His sovereign will. No matter what, we need to realize that if God heals us and He keeps us here for a shorter, for a longer time, that's what He wants to do. But there are sometimes when we pray for people and the way God heals them is He makes them die and He takes them home and He takes them into eternity. We're still here hating life and they're over there loving life. That's really cool when you think about that. This is Somebody Loves You Radio with Raul Reese. Just a reminder, you can visit us anytime at somebodylovesyou.com or call us at 800-634-9165. And join Raul on his YouTube channel every Tuesday at 10 a.m. West Coast time for Straight Talk, a scripture-rich program with guidance for your daily life. Now back to more from Mark chapter 3. The book of Acts is still active today. It's still making history. There's no amen to the book of Acts yet until Jesus comes again. You see, so healing is for today. There are words of knowledge. There are words of wisdom. Prophecy is still active today. It's not that we're magicians or astrologers. 
or anything like that. It's the word of God and God exactly knows what our needs are every day of our lives. We have to be open to the Holy Spirit. You see? And every miracle and every wonder has to be what? Has to be proved by the word of God. Because if it's not proved by the word of God, then how do we know it's a genuine healing? Because Satan himself does healings too. You see? You have to be careful. For he turns himself into an angel of light. You're going to see that here in a moment where the demons are here and they recognize who Jesus is and they know what he's doing. They've been around for a long time. But here in this case here, he stands up, he stretches out his hand and it becomes wholly restored as the other hand. In verse 6, And then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against Jesus how they might destroy him. Who were the Herodians? The Herodians were like the actual uh, guards to Herod. They were like the bodyguards. You see? They were like the ones that would murder people. And so here they are. They're going out to these people like the mafia and actually saying, Hey, you think you can get to Jesus and murder him? Kill him. Plotting to kill Jesus and destroy him. Then in verse 7, we see the second part to the chapter. The great multitude now follows Jesus. All these multitudes were always following Jesus. Not for salvation, but always to get a miracle or a wonder or to be fed. Verse 7. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the Sea of Galilee, or the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Gennesaret. Why? Because a great multitude from Galilee followed him from Judea. Now, it must have been hard. I don't know about you, but it must have been hard to always be around people and never have a break. Imagine, everywhere Jesus went, everybody knew him. And whenever they would say, hey, Jesus is here. Man, they would flock to see him and to touch him and try to get something from him. He couldn't go anywhere without being identified. And so at this particular moment in the other uh, book of Matthew, what happens is that he goes to the Sea of Galilee, and now it's time to choose 12 men that are going to be in his ministry. So what does he do? This gospel doesn't tell us. But in the gospel of Matthew, it tells us that he went to the Sea of Galilee, and while they were sleeping, he went out all night, and he went to pray before he ever chose the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. He spent the night all night in prayer. I think this is important that we point out this tonight. Because how many times you and I do not spend quality time praying about the decisions and the choices we have to make in our lives. But we just do it. I mean, do we really pray, does God want me to buy this house? Does God want me to have this car? Does God want me to marry this gal or this man? Do we really pray about the decisions that we want to be in God's perfect will? Or do we not care about praying and asking God to speak to us and to demonstrate and to show us His perfect will? I think we need to pray. I think we need to wait upon God. Here Jesus Christ goes out all night long. He's God. And he goes all night long and he begins to pray for every one of those young men that he's choosing to become their disciples. And out of the twelve, one of them was a devil. And he knew it. 
He knew that Judas was a devil. He knew that Judas would betray him. But at the same time, when he chose Judas, I believe personally that he gave Judas three and a half years to repent. The grace of God. Before God sends his judgment, what does God do? He always gives a space to repent. He gives you the opportunity to repent before he'll ever judge you. Because he wants to see your heart. And what's amazing is, as he chose or hand chose every one of these men, they were not the elite of Israel. They were not the movie stars. They were not the ones that had a lot of money. They were fishermen, a tax collector. And there's others in here that, I mean, one of them was a zealot. He was actually one that fought against Rome all the time. They hated the Romans. And it's pretty interesting then when he does that, he not only calls them, but look what he says to them again in verse 14. And he appointed, notice, they're not elected, they're appointed divinely. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Why did he choose them? To send them out to preach. We talked about this last Sunday morning. The call to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just to sit here, but we have a commission to fulfill as believers. And as he chooses every one of them, at the same time he empowers them. Notice in verse 15. And he gave them power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Notice that. Now, what really amazes me is that Judas was among those that were doing healings. And casting out demons. There are people probably that will come to Calvary Chapel all of their lives and be like Judas. Believe it or not. Just because a person goes to church and reads the Bible and even prays. Doesn't mean that that person is right on for Christ. We have to be very careful. Judas not only walked with Jesus. But he supped with him. He was all night with him. He saw the miracles and the wonders. He saw him when he was bummed out and when he was up. And all those three and a half years walking and being with Jesus, eventually Judas turned around and what did he do? He betrayed him. He sold him out for 20 miserable dollars. Imagine, sold him out for all eternity. And Jesus had given him a time and a space to repent. But Judas never did. That's why in the book of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23, he said, on that day many are going to come and say, Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name, and prophesy in your name, and did miracles and wonders? And Jesus will say unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evil servant of iniquity. What was the problem? Sin in their lives. It's so sad. But it's going to be even sadder to know that people sat in Calvary Chapel, what the four square church, or whatever church that teaches the Bible, and speaks the truth about God, and that those people will never be able to get into the kingdom of God, even though they saw, and even though maybe they went ahead and prayed for people, and people were even healed. They'll never see the kingdom of God. That's why we have to be so careful in our relationship with God. Because here he says he gave them the power to heal. And the power to what? To cast out the devils or the demons. And here are the name of them. Simon, 
to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Borgenes, that is, son of thunder, and Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, notice what it says, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Who also betrayed him, but then they went into a house. Now, why would the Holy Spirit allow at the beginning of the ministry to say that Judas would betray him? Why? Because God knows all things already. God knows all things. He knows from the past to the present to the future. It would be like we being in an airplane looking down on the desert and actually seeing what's going on down the road where we see way before the guy driving the car that there's a major accident ahead. You see? They can do it by helicopter. Well, when God is in heaven, He already knows from the beginning to the end. He's already saw the whole story completed, the whole movie. It's done. But He gives us and allows us through the actual foresight of God and His sovereignty that He gives us the opportunity not only to choose, but to live for Him. Where He gives us the power of choice. Where we're not robots, you see. And I like that. That I can make a choice where I need to love Him or I don't have to love Him. I can serve Him or I don't have to serve Him. I can come to church or I don't have to come to church. I can read the Bible or I don't have to read the Bible. I can believe it or I don't have to believe it. You see? Power of choice. That God gives us that opportunity, each one of us individually. Did He love Judas? You bet He loved Judas. Otherwise, He wouldn't have had him for three and a half years. He loved him. I mean, imagine how Jesus must have felt the night when they were in the upper room. The dinner was already set. He walked in. He washed the disciples' feet. And the dinner was about to be served. And what does he do? Right before Judas, he takes the bread. He breaks it. He actually dips it. He says, whoever I give this piece of bread to, he's the one that is going to betray me. And he gave it to Judas. And what did Judas do? Judas walked up before they even partook of communion. Judas never partook of communion. He was never ever in communion with Jesus Christ. He left to betray him. When is the next time we see Judas? We see him coming up with 600 men, torches and swords. And they're coming to the Garden of Gethsemane to actually betray the Lord Jesus Christ with a kiss. Imagine that. Can you imagine, not Judas, imagine how Jesus must have felt to have one of his disciples, one of his very own, to betray him with a kiss. When he saw him, he said, Judas, what you're going to do, do it quickly right now. Do it quickly. Imagine how terrible that must have been. Judas, Iscariot, the one that betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. But here he is, being chosen. Today, as you consider how Jesus himself spent time in prayer, seeking God's guidance in decision-making, we hope you'll be inspired to do the very same thing. You're listening to Somebody Loves You Radio with Raul Reese. You can get a complete version of today's message for a donation of $5 or more. Just call 800-634-9165 and ask for Raul's lesson from Mark chapter 3. We'd also like to offer you Rawls' book titled Victory, Overcoming Our Enemies. 
Drawing connections between his Vietnam War experience and the spiritual battlefield, Rawl will show you how to recognize and counteract Satan's attacks. You'll find that as you spend daily time with God, He will equip you to endure trials, withstand temptation, and walk in the Holy Spirit's power. Visit SomebodyLovesYou.com or call 800-634-9165 to order Rawls' book titled Victory, Overcoming Our Enemies. We'll send your copy for a gift of $14 plus shipping and handling. Once again, that phone number is 800-634-9165. Or if you'd like, you can write us at Somebody Loves You Radio, Post Office Box 4440, Diamond Bar, California, 91765. As we continually look for fresh ways to help you grow in your faith, feel free to contact us with your ideas. We also invite you to connect with us here at Somebody Loves Your Radio to take advantage of all of our free Bible-based resources. For more encouragement from Scripture, you can use iTunes or Spotify to download any of these programs as podcasts. And when you download our app to your iPhone or Android, you'll gain instant access to digital Bible studies, an easy scripture reading plan, and much more. This app will also conveniently link you to our online resource store. To stay connected with us throughout your day, visit us on Instagram and Facebook. We'd like to remind you that your tax-deductible donations are the lifeblood of this ministry. We're so grateful for your generous partnership. Coming up tomorrow, we'll continue this series in Mark's Gospel with a challenge from Christ's parable of the sower and the seed. You'll see that when you treasure God's Word in your heart, your life can bear lasting spiritual fruit. That's next time on Somebody Loves You Radio. This program is sponsored by Somebody Loves You Radio in Diamond Bar, California.